Hi, my name is Eric Santiago. I'm one of the pastors here along with Jim and Pete and Travis and our wives. We lead Monument Church and uh, just great to be uh, preaching uh, again today out of our Very Power of God series. And, you know, over these last few weeks, if you've been around, it's so cool to see people stepping into gifting and kind of finding their way in some of the things that God has put in us right? I mean, have you experienced that? Right? I've, I've, I see slight head nods, but actually I think we're seeing some people sort of being activated. You know, Josh is not here. Josh went to the UK uh, over this week, actually, and he's serving there. Amazing. Isn't it cool that, I mean, th this is actually a testament to this church family. We've sent him over there to be a blessing. He's training up songwriters and worship leaders in England, and he spent the last few days in Market Harbor, England, and uh, I've been just getting messages from people that I know over there. They're holding the conference at a, a, the, a church of a friend of mine, and they're like, thank you for sending Josh. He's just been such a gift to us. He's blowing wind in our sails, and he was so excited to go over there and teach them about songwriting. But he texted me two days ago, and he said, I prophesied over this woman, and she just started weeping because what I was saying just was the very words of God to her. She couldn't believe that I knew these things about her, and she's crying, and I'm crying, and, and Josh just stepped out. And so it's amazing to see these things just kind of percolating in people. We just want to see that happen more and more earnestly desire the gifts, especially that you may prophesy, it says in 1 Corinthians 14.1. And as we've celebrated that, I've wanted to actually get to this latter half of 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the body of Christ. Because interestingly, in the Corinthian church, they had these gifts at play. They're often called the nine gifts, and we talked about them. It's healing and miracles and, and prophecy and, and tongues and, and these kinds of things. They're not the only nine gifts, but they're nine gifts that Paul talks about. And what happened with them is that they would start to compete with their gifts, actually. They would start to kind of one-upsmanship one another. You know how this goes. I mean, this is... We do this all the time as humans, don't we? And so Paul extols the virtues of these gifts, but then he, he draws it back into the value of every single person in the body of Christ. This is far more important than what any individual person can do. This is so important for us to get. So while we've splashed around in it, while we've watched people operate in gifting and, and ourselves become kind of activated in this, this is where it all lands. This is where we earth these gifts and these truths and this message. It's in who we are as the body of Christ, each individual member. So I wanna read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. Paul says here, after having spoken about the gifts, he said, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So right at the banner that hangs over all of this is just we are all equal 
and valuable in Christ. Regardless of our origin or ethnic background, right? He says Jews or Gentiles. Regardless of our station in life, socioeconomic status, ability, we're all equally important and a vital part of the body of Christ. I love the amens. I love the heads nodding. But we just, we don't get this generally. We, we get it, but we don't get it. And, and they didn't get it either. And so I want to bring this from here down into here. Paul wanted to bring this from here down into here. We may, we may share, among us in this room, we may share very little else, but we all share the same spirit. Isn't that amazing? This is groundbreaking, especially in the ancient world, because like other countries actually today, there was a shameless societal hierarchy, right? This, this flew completely in the face of that. Now, we know of these cultures that still exist around the world, and we don't, we don't love those cultures, but in some ways, I feel like at least they're honest. Mm-hmm. Right? Because actually, hidden in our hearts is often ranking, is often hierarchy. I mean, we want this democratic, kind of everybody equal society, but humans are so hierarchical and class-based. Money, position, title, pedigree, talent, you name it, we love to rank. And it's usually quite unspoken. And it's kind of this everybody equal, but actually everybody's not equal. And, and so Paul wants to do away with that for the sake of unity. Monument Church, the, the, honestly, the way for us to have a Powerful, God-glorifying unity is to do away with petty, ungodly rankings. Mm. We have to do that. One person more gifted, one person less gifted, one person more this, one person more that. We, we just have to lean into fighting what is so natural to our humanity. I said before that unity is not just the absence of strife. That is like the fundamental, that's like the minimum the absence of strife. An equal regard for every person as valuable and important could be the most countercultural thing we do in a society that loves to rank. How do you see and regard people? Do you rank them? Do you rank yourself? Let's be free of that. Often the most gifted people actually struggle with this. I'm so gifted, but I'm not gifted enough. Insecurity can come with some of the greatest talent and ability. And then there's this incredible thing that Jesse referred to last week. If you were here, uh, an author named Henry Nguyen said, actually, this is what we are so prone to think when we value ourselves. I am what I do. I am what I have, or I am what others think or say about me. We just have to go, yes, I will have a tendency to do that. And then we can actually go further into what Paul says to really help us understand how the body of Christ actually answers this. So in verse 14, he says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part, But if the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, 
that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. My second point is just that we depend on each other, not compete with each other. That's what he's addressing here. There was so much disunity around competition. And he dives deeper into this kind of inferior superiority that exists in our nature. We tend to be insecure or arrogant. Like we, we, we struggle to find the, the middle space. I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, right? I mean, it's, it's insecurity, it's difficult. I know many of us struggle with that. I have struggled with that. Oh, I'm not that, I'm only this. But Paul's saying, actually, no. Or say, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye. Maybe you look at someone and go, oh, there's such a beautiful eye. <laughs> if only I were an eye, but here I am an elbow. What good am I? <laughs> it sounds quite silly, but that is where inferiority and superiority comes into play. Or I don't need you, foot, hand. Superiority, arrogance. Oftentimes when we meet somebody or we encounter somebody that is very different than we are, we struggle to see the value of who they are, right? You're not like me. Why won't you be more like me? Well, he says, would it be a body if it was all just made up of one part? We need to push into this. We need to actually understand how Jesus sees each and every person here and really marvel at the beauty of that. Yeah. We'll get into that in just a moment. One way or another, we, we actually struggle to say, I am made exactly how God has designed me, and I love it. Do you say that? I am made exactly how God has designed me, and I love it. It's awesome. Most of us don't, in my experience. I have struggled myself over the years. I kind of like how I'm made, but I wish I was a little more like this. Why don't I have that? I see myself this way. I am made exactly how God has designed me, and I love it. And because of the things I have, and because of the things I lack, I really need other people. I need that person, and I need that person. I can't do without them. This is so vitally important to my life, to actually fulfilling God's calling upon my life. An eye cannot be an eye disembodied from the body. Amen. It relies on the other parts in order to make sense of it. Think of you just saw an eye laying on the ground, you'd be like, oh man, disgusting, you'd throw it away. But an eye and a body, you want that. That is so valuable. Oh, I need that among all of the other parts. This is how we need to see each other in maturity. But those who are very different from us, who process differently and see the world differently, we struggle to sometimes 
connect with them. People who have weaknesses where we have strengths and strengths where we have weaknesses, they represent a threat in immaturity. And so as we grow up into the body, as it says in Ephesians 4, we need to recognize, Paul says, no, don't do it. Don't get stuck in the deep rut of fallen humanity and broken society that desperately needs to overvalue some people and devalue other people. So if, if you're sitting here today, and gosh, this is a lot of people, and you have been devalued or undervalued, I'm sorry. Really? That has messed you up. Do I really have anything to offer? Absolutely. You have been made by God for a purpose. But people maybe have told you, not really, not so much. Can I say, if you've been overvalued, I'm sorry, that has messed you up. And, and, and perhaps you, we love to be praised, right? And praise is not bad, except that when it, it overvalues above other people, that it puts us on some kind of pedestal. That has happened to others of us as well. And Paul's like, nope, it just doesn't work like that. The body of Christ values and dignifies every single member. Yeah. What's interesting is seeing and valuing others really for who they are is key to seeing who you are, right? So we're at our best when we see ourselves through God's eyes. That's, a, that's our very best. We know who we are in Him because of who He created us to be. But we can't hope to see ourselves through His eyes and not see other people through His eyes. Do we really want the lenses that beholds the beauty and, and majesty of each and every human being that also beholds our own? Like, let's just tear off the glasses that need to see us better, worse, arrogant, or insecure. That is where we find true freedom. The only way to true peace, joy, and love in this life is to realize who we are in Him. Who we are comes from Him. Our identity comes from Him. Our value comes from Him. Our self-worth comes from Him. You are a child of God. Amen. You are a royal priest, a part of Jesus Christ Himself, a very member of His body, not to be compared to others or compete with others. You are of such value. Listen to this. Let me put it this way. You say, yes, I'm a royal priest. That's great. What does that mean? You are of such value. So you know what, you know what the value of something is? The value really is what someone is willing to pay for it. Right? So like my son likes to go online and see like these ridiculous shoes that are like $8,000. I'm like, it costs like $25 to create those shoes and they're $8,000. But they're worth that because somebody is willing to pay. Right? It's hard to argue. Somebody's willing to cough up eight grand for shoes. That is somehow what they're worth. Do you realize that you are of infinite worth because God was willing to pay his priceless son in exchange for you. You are worth what he was willing to pay. Can you put a figure on that? No, the pearl of great price is what he was willing to pay for you. That is where we find our worth and value. Like when you think about that, you don't go like, 
Oh man, if only I was a little more liked by a few more people. What? I mean, it just doesn't even make any sense. The most valuable thing in all of the universe was paid for you when Jesus died on the cross in exchange, in the great exchange, to redeem your life. Now, what's interesting is some people say, like, if you were the only person on the face of the planet, Jesus would die for you. I don't know if that's actually true. That might be a little controversial here. The Bible doesn't actually say that. The reason I'm bringing that out is because that can be very individualistic. Oh, yes, it's all about me. Actually, there is a Lamb's Book of Life that our names are written in. But it says, for God so loved the world. You are a part of you. You are a part of you. We like to define ourselves individualistically. But he's saying, no, you can't be defined individualistically. He paid his life for you. And so relish the fact that it is an individual name and you have an individual relationship with Jesus, but relish the fact that you are you. We find ourselves in the context of his people. That is where we come alive. That is where we are made. That is where God wants to meet us. That lands us in today, which is Palm Sunday. What's so cool about Palm Sunday is that, you know, Paul talks about how every member is so important. And this thing of insecurity and and arrogance was just not found at all in Jesus. When Jesus rode in on that donkey that Joel talked about earlier, it's it's also in John 12, and it says, The next day the large crowd had come come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey, Colt. Jesus came in weakness, not presuming to be the most important part of this whole story. Like, can you imagine him wanting to be riding in on a big steed or with a thousand chariots and an armies of angels, which he could have done? This humble entrance in weakness is the model for how we participate in the body of Christ. That we ourselves do not presume to be any greater than certainly Jesus, nor anyone else. His humble display as he enters in to do what was the most important act of all human history is just so powerful. Do we ride our our donkeys into community? Do we come in knowing our security? He was so secure in the love of God. He was so secure in his purpose and calling. He was so secure in what he was about to do. And he could could come in on a donkey because of those things. Hebrews says he was tempted in all points. Was he tempted to do the chariots and angels things? I don't know. But what he chose was to come in on a donkey. This connects to verse 22 now. Paul goes on, he says, In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important 
are actually most necessary. Does anyone among you feel like the weakest? Like the least important? You may be the most necessary. Jesus was the most necessary. The head of the body. Isn't that extraordinary? And he came in weakness. And so we need to learn, man, some of the ones that seem the weakest, actually, they may be the most necessary. We've got to reorient our brains. It's not the wealthiest, the smartest, the... It is actually often the weakest that we need to dignify. He goes on to say, And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with, with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony. I love that word, harmony among the members. Do we have harmony monument? Oh, I want to keep stretching into harmony. Yeah. Harmony comes when we dignify one another, when we draw near even the weakest or what seem to be the least important and recognize them as absolutely necessary. You may be here today going, I don't know that I'm all that necessary. You are absolutely necessary. He's talking about you right here, if that's how you see yourself. That is the beauty of the gospel. It flies in the face of societal hierarchy and ranking and one-upsmanship because our value and worth is completely and entirely defined by Jesus and what he paid for who we are. So God has put together put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the believers so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So I just want to punch this home. Interdependence is vital, but it requires humility. One of the greatest signs of maturity in a Christ follower is the realization that we need other Christ followers. Not a nice to have, not a bonus or an extra. The fulfillment of our calling in Christ on earth is entirely dependent on other Christians. That's what this is saying. One cannot exist in all of what God has called us to outside of the body of Christ. And there has been this thing, well, I, I, I've outgrown the church. I, I feel like that's the same as saying I've outgrown Jesus. I've outgrown what he's called me to. I've outgrown you fill in the blank. Because he's calling us into something that requires humility and security in our relationship with God to depend on others in this way. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that liberating? You don't have to try to figure out whether or not you're important or necessary. You are. You absolutely are. We're having baptisms on Easter. I'm really excited. We have three people right now being baptized. If you want to be baptized, we would love to baptize you on Easter. We're going to have a trough right here. Hopefully this all goes according to plan because we've never done this before here in the gym, but we think it's going to work. And we're just going to celebrate because when you are baptized... 
When you put your faith in Christ, when you become a part of who he is, when you have a relationship with him, you're not just baptized into a relationship with him, it's with his body as well. And we're just so excited to celebrate that. Members being activated. You know, we had our newcomers lunch last week and, and, and one woman asked such a great question. What are the like, benefits of membership? What's the difference, you know? Do it, like, you know, I, I, look, here's the big secret. You don't get like a chair. You know, you, there's no like, you don't get a placard anywhere. There's actually not a lot of natural benefits. We have a members meeting that we have not yet had, but we're going to have one soon, hopefully. And that you'll get an invite to. But actually, the thing is, when we see with spiritual eyes, the benefit of membership is you stepping into the body of Christ in a committed way. You cannot work out all of what God has called you to do at arm's length or stepping back from the body of Christ. You just cannot. Again, it's like saying a finger can accomplish what it was intended to do on its own. Chop it off, throw it on the ground. It is useless, ultimately disconnected. We know that people have uh, had you know, wonderful expressions of Jesus in their individual lives. We love this. This is beautiful. But the whole of our calling is orbed in the body of Christ. Why be a part of a church? It's because this is how we work out this beautiful salvation. Being together is wherein we find extraordinary strength in our relationships with one another and with Him. I had a leader come to me in, way, in the way of confession the other day and just said, man, I had this really awkward conversation with somebody and I basically just do what I can to try to avoid them at this point. And I was like, thank you. They were saying, this isn't good. This isn't, but, but this is just, let me confess. Mm. Let me just say, and I mean, I was like, thank you because we all have that. We all have these moments where we go, oh, okay, I'll just cut a wide swath around them. I mean, come on, can we just be a little bit honest right now? And God's like, just go. Find out what it is that doesn't seem to click. Not everybody has to be our best friend, but unity requires a mutual dignity and honor of one another. I appreciate you. I appreciate who God has made you to be. It's very different than me. Whoa, you are different than me. <laughs> But man, do I get it. I get Christ in you. I get that you're made in his image and you get, I get that you are a member of his body and I want to work well. The same big toe ear, the same blood flows through both. That is the spirit that holds us together. Can we see and acknowledge the spirit of God in one another, regardless of what they deliver or do or are capable of? There is dignity in each and every person. But I want to call you. I want to call you to participate. I want to call you to engage with everything you are. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. I love how he throws a little jab, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That piece is one of the most important. We kind of go, well, it's going to be a while before he comes back, so 
how crazy do we really need to get? No, the day is drawing near. This was written 1,800 years ago. They felt urgency then. How much more do we feel urgency now? Engage in the body of Christ. Come as we gather. We need your peace. Be sharpened by one another. Contribute what God has given you. I just want to re-invite everybody in this room. Easter next week will be our biggest attendance all year. Wonderful. I love that. Why? I do not know. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Discover who you are in Christ. Discover who others are in Christ. Those two things go hand in hand. They serve and help one another. All right, I'm coming to a land here. In verse 27, Paul says this, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. He keeps repeating this over and over and over again. Get this, guys, get this, guys. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Otherwise, we wouldn't need each other. That's the subtext there. Well, this is so important because on the one hand, up until this point, it's all been very democratic, right? There's no hierarchy, no ranking. This is not hierarchy either, but it's very interesting that he says first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Why does he say that? And then he says then, 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 then about these other gifts. Well, I just want to say a word on that. Oftentimes the religious leaders have been cast as the CEO. This is part of why, frankly, I avoided wanting to be a pastor, avoided wanting to be called any particular thing because I just didn't like the CEO concept that had been put on the church. And that isn't what we see here. There is an order. He doesn't say these are the most important people. He just said these are the gifts that God has appointed. These are the people that God has appointed. And he names them. And it's so interesting because in the same breath, back if you recall in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, about apostles. I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. He just keeps flipping this around. Apostles are really important. Apostles are like at the bottom. Apostles are important. You know, so he's not doing the same old hierarchical thing. He's saying there is order in God's kingdom he established these things according to his goodwill and purpose, but it's not like you think it is. It's not CEO, it's not like president, vice president, secretary of state, apostles, prophets, teachers. We lock into that very quickly and easily, and he's going, forget that. There's something more dynamic, more interesting going on here. Then the final thing I'll say about this piece is, I love how he says, um, then those who have the gift of healing, those who have miracles, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership or administration. I love how he lumps those gifts together like they're all just good, right? 
Miracles and healing helping people administration. All of them necessary. Please, if you feel as though you lack whiz-bang splash gifts, get over it. Because you are just as important in whatever God has equipped you to do to serve in helping or administration or moving mountains or whatever, blowing up the sun. This is, this is something we have to grasp. If only I could do that. No, no, you can do what you can do. Please do it. We need you for this. Yes, you can applaud that because that is giving dignity to every part of the body of Christ. And Paul just lumps them together. Miracles, healing, helps, administration, whatever. They're all good. He doesn't rank those. He just says then, 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 then. I love that. Come and be a part of what God is doing. Participate in the body of Christ because we need you. You need it. Some of you are trying to work out who God has made you to be outside of the body of Christ. And the thing is, he has created you first and foremost to serve him and his body. Whatever job you do right now will be gone in eternity. Yes. Whatever it is, gone. Yes. <laughs> I saw Martin celebrate. Martin, I, I love that. Like we, I, I celebrate. In heaven, we will just be members of the body of Christ. Is that incredible? We are the bride of Christ. So do not be too easily defined by what you do. Do not be too easily defined by your current earthly position. It's wonderful, a gift from God. But let's reorder, reorient, because it is so important. I just realized one of the best tactics in war is to take out communication, right? See, we get people, the, the enemy will get people, uh, and even our own sin nature will just get us not talking to one another not sharing one another, withdrawing in isolation because of differences. That is how we will become disunified. It is how we will become ineffective. It is how we will become less glorious. We push in to one another. It's important, of course, to appreciate our gifts, but not to be consumed by them, right? Because we can easily go from self-absorbed to self-loathing and and a fear of insignificance to, can drive us to either one of those things. What is my path to significance? Jesus already carved out your path to significance. It's been done. You are significant because of who he made you to be when he died on the cross. It's the path to him. And here's the thing. This is my last point. Significance we seek outside of Jesus leads to confusion and disillusionment. We will have success and feel significant. That success goes away and we feel insignificant. Life is fickle. Success is fleeting. I met a guy who was very successful in his 20s. I met him in his 60s. All he did was think about what it was like and how he never got quite back up to that place in his life. Such an example of how his significance was defined by something other than Jesus, who by the way was with him in his 20s and with him in his 60s. He was approved and he was made valuable by him throughout.